Welcome back to the Exit Velo podcast. We are here on a Wednesday night. I'm Adam Cohen alongside Ryan Mork, and we're going to go over the AL and NL Central the day before opening day. Yeah, finally, man. Uh, kind of like I feel like tomorrow, once baseball is actually on, it's going to be even watching baseball the last couple of nights, it's been normal because it's the summertime and you're watching baseball. And I like as excited as I am, I'm just, I feel like you're just supposed to be watching baseball in July. And like I've been okay with that. And now I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed. But th- th- this last month or so has it's been exciting just to be counting down for the season. And I'm hyped that we're finally going to get things rolling in for me and you. I mean, it's nice because we're both Yankee fans. So we get a head start on everything. So I feel bad for the 26 other teams <laughs> that start on Friday, but, it, but it, nonetheless, I mean, I would be watching no matter what the case was. It feels hard to believe because every baseball fan has just waited so long for the season to happen. It almost doesn't feel quite real until the, the game actually starts tomorrow no it doesn't i mean like it all it, and it's and it's every year like you can't believe that opening day is with it like we're in a 20 like in 24 hours we're going to be watching the yankees and we're going to be being on twitter seeing all these people that want gary sanchez ben stang Gary cole is over it, it's going to be great i mean oh, uh, yeah baseball twitter is the best twitter also so that makes that much more fun of course yeah now especially if everything has happened in 2020 it just feels like you really deserve this baseball season. And speaking about people yeah. deserving things, Mookie Betts, yeah. before we go into the Central, 12-year, $365 million contract. Wow. Yeah, funny how uh, the Red Sox kind of just said, go shoot flower. We don't want to pay David Price's contract, so you got to take Mookie Betts. And I really don't think that they – I think they expe- I think we all expected Mookie Betts to try to test out the free agent market. Who knows if this pandemic uh, changed his mind at all. But the Dodgers said, we don't want you going anywhere, and you're going to stay here because – and this, this is what the Dodgers should have done, especially in a shortened season where they got rid of Alex Verdugo and a couple of prospects. I mean, was it really going to be worth it for – 60 games of Mookie Betts, and they made that trade much more than worthwhile by giving a top five baseball player in the league what he's worth for sure. I was just surprised more by the fact that he signed it now because I thought the free agent market would be terrible for hitters, but now if that signing or that extension to Betts, maybe you'll be a little bit easier. And, and hey, he's a Dodger for life now too, so that's also a great deal. Well, we've been saying it also. I mean, how many teams are going to be affected by, by this pandemic with the lack of fans? And I think we, everyone kind of mentioned that the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Giants, big mar- teams who act like big market teams aren't going to be affected that much. And the Dodgers are pretty much proving that uh, with the signing. Good for them. They have a young core also that they're going to keep on the cheap for a long while. They'll worry about Cody Bellinger and how much money they want to pay him when the time comes. They don't have to worry about that for another three more years, but they have Dustin May. They have Gavin Lux. They're already set on David Price for another two or three more years after this year. He actually opted out of this year, but nonetheless, they have a great core and it's nice that they just locked up Mookie Betts and kind of gave the Boston Red Sox a nice little thank you uh, with this signing also. For the Red Sox perspective, I don't even blame them for trading bets anymore. Like everyone talked trash about them selling their best right, player. But... Right. It's just funny how 
they kind of expected it to be like a Deraldis Chapman kind of thing where they traded him away. We're hoping to get him back in the offseason, and the Dodgers weren't having any of it. I mean, hey, even if he did hit free agency, Mookie Betts probably would have been a contender for, for L.A. anyway. But nonetheless, I mean, I don't think that the Red Sox are regretting this deal per se, but I do think that if you gave them a little bit of truth serum, they were probably expect they probably would have told you that they didn't think that Mookie Betts was going to sign this big deal with LA, at least not now. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right, especially this early on. And just as a Yankee fan, this feels like icing on the cake. Just how the Red Sox are out this year. I'm sure the Dodgers and Yankees are in the World Series, and then we're going to be begging for Mookie Betts to not be yeah. in the lineup. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well. We should go in the main topic of the Central, but we had to mention, of course, opening day happening tomorrow and Mookie Betts. So let's start with pretty much the team to beat in the Central, and that's the Twins. Ryan, what's the Twins' biggest strength on the team? I think their biggest strength is that they're they are a total powerhouse. I mean, they broke the record for most home runs in a single season, and they signed Josh Donaldson to a four-year deal. From top to bottom, they are a, a dangerous, dangerous lineup. Uh, they have Nelson Cruz, who can be an who could be an MVP candidate at will, as is Josh Donaldson, and they have speed up and down that up and down uh, that lineup too. You got Byron Buxton, who whether he bats leadoff or nine, they're a, they're a very complete team uh, in the offensive category and they could definitely win at least 35 games this year by hitting home runs i would like to see them play a little bit of small ball because i do think that the long ball hurt them when they have to go against guys like louis severino and, and james paxton and uh, i think tanaka pitched against them in, or, or maybe i forgot who uh pitched the other game for the yankees in that in that postseason series but uh I've always been a big opponent and that you can't just out slug teams at will in the postseason. But for a 60-game uh, season, I think that's going to help them out a lot. And, uh, again, they they have no holes in that offensive lineup, that's for sure. I agree with you. Like, even beyond Donaldson and Cruz, like the two big boppers, they have guys like Kepler who just broke out. They have Garver who just broke out. They have speedy mm-hmm. players like Butson and, I believe, his last name is pronounced Arise, like Luis Arise. So – all of those guys are great, and I think their hitting is so important because their pitching is such a weakness. Their bullpen's okay with Taylor Rogers, Sergi Roman, Tyra Clipper. Those guys will be good. But starting-wise, I don't really see too much upside after Jose Barrios. Yeah, no, and even he's a kind of a question mark too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you you put him in there as one of the contenders for maybe a top 10 or 15 pitcher in the American League, uh, but – uh, again, we really don't know what Jose Barrios is. And Kenta Maeda is a nice piece, but I don't think that he's the kind of guy who's going to put you over the top. And I, um, they have Jake Odorizzi out, um, in there as well, but he needs to – you mentioned it in our notes that he has to have some sort of season if they really want to compete because outside of those three guys who are all question marks, they really – don't have much else and they're they're built to outslug their opponents and they're facing easy opponents in the Detroit Tigers all season long and in the NL Central they're going to be facing the Pirates a couple a few more times that they normally would this year so those are going to be some, some extra padding in that se- in a season for them but again I really just don't know how much that they can outslug the elite teams when when it comes to October especially because 
amongst like postseason caliber teams. They don't rank too high in the starting pitching category. Bullpen, they're I guess a, they're just they're slightly above average, but it's still not great. So they really just have to outslug their way the entire year if they are going to try to win it all. Yeah, for sure, and th- that's how they're built, and they're not afraid to admit that. Um, but but and hey, if those three guys, if Maeda, Odorizzi, and Barrios can be, you're not asking them to be aces, you know. You're you're asking them to be, you're asking them to give you six innings. You're just asking for, for a quality start. And in this world, the quality starts six innings and three earned runs. That's a four or five ERA. You want that to be a little bit better throughout the course of a season. But you get six innings from from those guys, you're in pretty good shape. Especially since the Twins can score five or six runs a game. I mean, even Maeda, he's only going to go five yeah. innings, and then they can leave it to their bullpen. They have, they give up like one earned run after that. They can win ball games. So again, their offense is pretty much their their best pitching staff too. I know I mean, it's not their best defense, of course, but. You get what I mean. It's so powerful that it can uh, overset or they can, it makes up for their decent pitching. And and speaking of teams that are pretty vice versa from the Twins, Indians have great starting rotation in Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, and Carlos Carrasco. Like those three, it's hard to top them um, amongst many rotations in all of baseball and even rounding it off. Aaron Savali, Zach Plesek look good at the end of rotation. And then you also have Lindor Ramirez offensively. So that can certainly take them a long way. Yeah, Savali and Plesek, those guys as your 4-5, you're pretty comfortable with it. And when we talk about the Minnesota Twins, you, with, with a guy like Odorizzi as your 3, it, it's something that uh, not every rotation is going to be stacked out there in the world. But when you have Aaron Savali and Zach Plesek as your 4-5 with – Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger as you, pretty much your one A and one B, and mm-hmm. Carrasco when he's when he's on, he's he's certainly on. And you, you want to talk about a lineup? I mean, they have an MVP candidate in Francisco Lindor. Who knows what his status is on the trade block? But I really don't think that a contending team like the Indians are going to be making a move to try to shed this guy in a sixty game season because everyone is in it. And I think a, a very underrated aspect about this team is their bullpen. They had the third best. ERA uh, in all of baseball last year, the Cleveland Indians bullpen. So even if – and this is after they lost uh, Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber. So that that was a big risk that they had to take. But other than that, their their rotation is still very good, and I am a big fan of their lineup. Of course, rotation is good, and the lineup uh, can be good. The lineup has so much upside with Fran Mil Reyes, Oscar Mercado, uh, Ramirez can, of course, bounce back from last year, already did in the second half. But I really like the part when you mentioned about the bullpen because if you look at their names, they're not really too well-known after Brad Hand. They, of course, mm-hmm. lost Andrew Miller and Brian Shaw a couple of years back, and everyone thought their bullpen kind of went down the hill. But instead, they have Adam Simber, they have Hunter Wood, they have Oliver Perez, they have Nick Whitgren. So it's still like a pretty well-rounded bullpen as well. I do think, though, that a big X factor for this team is Carlos Santana. I mean, he had a career year last year, and that's why the Indians were able to win over 90 games. And they still fell short of a postseason appearance because the Rays won 97 games, and I think the Oakland A's won 95 last year. Mm. But if Carlos Santana doesn't have the year that he had last year, or at least somewhat close to it, they're, they're going to be in trouble because 
their, their lineup isn't phenomenal outside of uh, of Francisco Lador. And Fremio Reyes is a nice player, and Domingo Santana is a nice player, but Carl Santana, I mean, he, he I think last year was his first All-Star nod, or at least yeah. the first since his rookie year. Uh, the, the Indians are going to need him to, to play a, a big role because th- this pitching staff is good, but they do need to – you got the Twins in your division. If that rotation is going to shut a team like the Twins down, you got to score some runs. And I, I question if they're going to be able to do that this year. Their offense, they have, as I mentioned, Lindor Ramirez, and those two will always take them pretty much towards the wire, but they are banking on so many players like Reyes can't field for his life, doesn't get on base for his life, but he can hit home runs. Mercado was a nice showing last year. Even Santana, of course, as you mentioned, first all-star appearance, he was one of the best hitters in baseball. Does he bounce back? And they're going to be relying on that all season long. Yeah, it's going to be a fight to the finish for for, for those teams those two teams. I'm going to give the nod to the twins, but I think the Indians can definitely compete. Yeah. I'll have to give a nod to the twins too, but an interesting third team will of course be the white Sox, who they have a little bit of everything offensively. That's their strong suit after signing Encarnacion, Grindal, and already having Abreu, Mancata, Anderson, as well as having Luis Robert coming up. So that'll be huge for them. Pitching wise, they need some work after Giolito, who only had his first good season. Keiko wasn't that great. And you look at Ronaldo Lopez and Gio Gonzalez. These are iffy options. And the bullpen is definitely their weakest link too. Uh, Alex Colomay and Aaron Bummer are the two greatest guys. And when those are your best relievers, that's not a good sign for things to come. Yeah, no, the, their starters are going to have to give them length. That's for sure. And the, it's a nice team. It's, a, I guess, it's a cute team. I mean, it's fun to watch Tim. I mean, Tim Anderson was the batting champion, and and he's just an exciting ball player to watch. He has a good glove, and he makes contact with the ball, and he has some pop. You look at this. You look at this one through nine. I mean, Edwin Encarnacion can hit in a 162-game season. He can hit 40 home runs for you. Asmani Grandal was one of the best hitting catchers in all of the in all of the league last year. And Jose Abreu, when he's on, he could be a, a, a potential top 10, 15 MVP candidate. And you mentioned Luis Robert. If this guy is what he's supposed to be, boy, the White Sox is going to be good for, for a long time. And the White Sox are, are, are finally ready to be on that pounce. We've been hearing about the Chicago White Sox for the last couple of years now, and I think that they swung and missed on a couple of free agents. They got Dallas Keuchel. They got Edwin Encarnacion, but they wanted to be in the mix of a couple of more people, even Manny Machado from last mm-hmm. year uh, in that offseason. Everyone knew that was kind of an outside shot, but nonetheless, the south side of Chicago is becoming a, a nice place to play. Not this year, but I think that if the offense has good enough of a season – that could attract a Marcus Stroman in the offseason, uh, who, who unfortunately for him, he's, he just got injured with a muscle tear, so his season is going to be cut short a little bit. But there's a couple of good pitchers on this market next year that if the White Sox can perform it offensively, some pitchers are going to want to go there uh, after this season for sure. You mentioned how the starters have to give them so many aims. So you're right. If they can perform well, if they can be in the running, maybe even sneak into a wild card spot, then he'd even bring in more pitching. And they also have so many good up-and-coming arms like Dylan Cease, 
and Lopez, as we mentioned, Michael Kopech, another big name. So those guys can still develop. And I believe Kopech actually opted out for this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right, yeah. But for the foreseeable future, they right, look like a great right. team, yeah. Speaking of, I mean, Michael Kopech is probably a guy that the White Sox would, would kill to have right now. I mean, not even the fact that he's going to be – I mean, I don't even think he's made his major league debut yet. But, but aside from the point, we don't know how long these stars can go in a ball game right now, Adam. And it would be nice for the White Sox to have some comfortability in a starter that they trust, and not just to have a good start, but just to give you five or six innings when we're not sure how many innings these starters can go to start off the year, a day where you, a tax bullpen can affect you. I mean, if you were a week into the season and your starters are going four or five innings and your bullpen is taxed, that can ruin you. And that's why we have 30 team, uh, 30 man player pools right now. But teams with, I think, good starters in a minor league system that are that teams aren't afraid to plug out there for five innings to eat some innings. I think that's going to be very, very valuable to any team. And look, uh, I give a lot of credit for Michael Kopech for, for opting out. I mean, I'm not going to attack anyone for doing that because it, it, it's their right. It's their prerogative. We're in a different world right now. But I do think that the White Sox were kicking themselves just a little bit uh, when Kopech decided not to play this year. See, I don't think that Kopik would have been too too much of an impact starter right away. Like he, of course, he throws 105, and I don't think too many teams can hit him. So I see where you're coming from with that, but he wouldn't be this guy who's going to give you maybe seven innings every time out. He's a new pitcher; he'd probably give you four or five, maybe mm-hmm. one run ball. But he would have helped. He would have helped on the pitching side. And the White Sox have good pitching after him, but they're mostly relying on a couple more of their young offensive hitters such as Nick Madrigal and Luis yeah. Robert and even Eloy Jimenez who had a great offensive showing last year but just could not play defense for his life. So I think prospect-wise they're relying more offensively than pitching-wise. Blake Rutherford, uh, Blake Rutherford too, former Yankee. He yeah, was in that Todd Frazier deal. Yeah, he can definitely hit. And especially with pretty weak outfield and uh, Larry Garcia, probably mispronouncing his name a little bit, and Norma Mazzara, Rutherford even has a chance to make it out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Besides the White Sox, the division gets pretty weak after here. But I think the Royals are at least in- interesting offensively because I really want to see them just steal a ton of bases this year between Monacy and Merrifield. And I want to see if Solaire can maybe vie for 20 home runs. So that'd be that's like the storylines for them, but Everything else is pretty terrible for the Royals. Hey, if you know what? If Sa Perez is healthy, I, I believe he missed if all, if not most of last year. If Sa Perez is healthy, I mean, I'm not expecting him to be a 300 hitter anymore. But if he, he's a guy who probably still has some pop in his bat, his arm is certainly still there. We I've I've seen several videos out of uh, the Royals camp in a league where. Sabermetrics and the long ball have taken over, but those Sabermetrics are in a 162-game season. I feel like the Royals, even though their offense isn't a powerhouse, they're going to be able to manufacture runs. And if they can get to a starter early, and again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but who knows what these starters have. If you can get to a starter early and manufacture some runs and get these starters to waste some pitches early on in the ball game, the Royals, uh, they're not a playoff team by any stretch of the uh, imagination, but – I don't, but 
I think that a lot of people who are thinking that they're just a, a 15 win team this year, 15 or 16 wins, don't be surprised if they're hovering at around 27 or 28 wins or maybe even 500. Again, they, they got to play Detroit. They got to play uh, Pittsburgh. Th- th- those are those are games that they should win a lot because those teams are, are, are very bad. I think the Royals can kind of be like Chicago where – they're not going to outslug you per se, but I, th- I think at the top of the lineup with Merrifield, Mondesi, and, and Solaire, and who knows if they even switch up. I mean, I don't know if they'll go Merrifield, Mondesi, or Mondesi, Merrifield, but nonetheless, it, that can be an exciting offense that we see we see some small ball where they can manufacture some runs, and I think that that's going to be fun about that Kansas City team. I almost get 2014, 2015 vibes a little bit because those teams were all speed and yeah. defense, which they have right now. And of course, over a 162 game season, there would be terrible. They'd probably lose at least 90 games, maybe even 100. But in a 60 game season, they're going to steal a lot more. They're probably going to put in a lot more plays that a lot of teams aren't used to. So if they can get anything offensively going for them, they could at least be competitive in many games. It just doesn't help that their pitching is just almost nothing. Yeah. I mean, Danny, Danny Duffy's their ace and it's hard to really even know the pitchers after them. Maybe you could bring up a Brady singer, but even him, it's kind of too early in the bullpen. You have Ian Kennedy and a couple combat stories and Trevor Rosenthal and Wright Holland. So just everything else besides Maryfield, Montessi and Solaire does not look bright for the Royals. Yeah, I mean, and if Trevor Rosenthal and Greg Holland can be, I mean, Trevor Rosenthal at one point had an infinity ERA through a, a larger bulk of the season, I must say, last year. Uh, but but we've seen Greg Holland before, and I and we've seen bits and pieces of Trevor Rosenthal before. Outside of, of those three, and, and Scott, Scott Barlow too, he's probably going to be their setup guy. But you're right, Adam. They don't have the rotation to give them length. They don't have the rotation to give them anything. And as fun as their offense might be, it's not in the cards for them. They could be a fun team to watch, but and just for them to like even win some games just with with speed. But yeah, they are still very very incomplete. So it's probably a few more years for them, but it'll be cool for them to see or have a strong showing in, in 2020 a little bit. In, in a shorter season, who knows? I mean, you never know what, what kind of pitchers are going to are gonna be on in certain, de- in certain games. I mean, I'm not going to be banking on these guys to be throwing seven or eight shutout innings, but, uh, again, you, we've seen Philip Humber throw, throw a perfect game. That's all I'll say. <laughs> That's true. Anything can happen in baseball, especially in a shortened season. So they'll be a fun team to watch, but – a team that won't be fun to watch, though, is the Tigers. They're just they're just so bad. I wouldn't be surprised if they just won 15 games this year. But at the very least, they have a couple of intriguing players in the rotation in Matt Boyd and Spencer Turnbull. Turnbull lost around 17 games last year, but he was very unlucky, and he actually didn't pitch too bad and give them a lot of innings. So those two, along with Ivan Novo, give them innings, but it won't be quality innings by any stretch of the means. Yeah, it, it's tough for them, and I feel bad for, for a guy like Miguel Cabrera, who he, he's not the Miguel Cabrera from twenty from like two thousand seven to 2014, 2015 anymore. But 
he's he can still be a 300 hitter and i, I do like the top of their lineup in goodman i've always been a jonathan scope fan ever since he was on the orioles i always loved that guy and they have some veteran leadership in Jacoby Jones, and now they have Austin Romine, and Cameron Maben is back in Detroit. Uh, but like you said, outside of Matthew Boyd and Spencer Turnbull, uh, Michael Fulmer is a big question mark, and I feel bad for him because he was supposed to be – he was the guy who was going to be this ace. And when Met fans – realized that they traded Michael Fulmer to get Joanna Cespedes a few years ago. They were praying that Fulmer wasn't going to be this guy. And it almost is, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but it kind of almost has worked out for them where Michael Fulmer isn't the star that Met fans were hoping that he would be when he was with the Mets. Um, but he he certainly is talented. I mean, I, I don't think their rotation is, is that bad. I do think that if Michael Fulmer it is what he can be as a five-starter, that rotation can be pretty decent, but this offense is just a, a bunch of one-year deal. Guy, I mean, Austin Romine is Austin Romine had his chance with in ten years in the Yankee system. They had Gary Sanchez, they had Brian McCann, they had a ton of guys play over him. Austin Romine is just not a starting catcher. Let's face it. As much as Yankee fans wanted him to be one, he just he just wasn't. And look, Cameron Maben is a very nice player, but I don't think that. Cameron maybe could be a top hitter in your lineup. I think that he's better when you have some protection in there. And I just don't think that a lot of these guys around Maven are going to be getting on base quite often. Um, scrappy team and, and names that we know, but if, if, and if it were four years ago, maybe this team contends, but, but not in the year 2020. I think the very least the Tigers are hoping on these one year rentals to maybe trade at some point during the season, because Again, Austin Romine can be a good backup, or you look at Jonathan Scope. He's shown success before, or C.J. Crone. So maybe they're hoping just to haul in a lot of prospects this year, which, again, teams would bite because since he's game season, anything can happen. Probably could be even more trades. So that could be fun. But you're right, Ryan. There's a decent amount of household names, even Nick Ramirez in the bullpen, who's split time throughout several major league teams and Buck Farmer's been in the system in, for a while, as well as Joe Jimenez or Jimenez, I should pronounce his name. So they have some interesting options and good young guys and Nico Goodrum and Heimer Condelario. So at least they have some use on their side, but they're still so far away from competing. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. And again, this is where you feel bad for Miguel Cabrera because he's a hall of famer and I don't think I don't think he's won a ring since his rookie year in 2003. And they've had some they've had some good teams. And the older he gets, it, it just looks like they are far far away from competing. They kind of st started the rebuild way too late. And those Tigers again, they had great 2012 2013 teams, but just couldn't do it. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're just a shell of their former selves. We, we talked about this already, but what would you, if you had to rank the division teams right now, what would it be? I'm going to go with probably the order that, that, that we just talked about them in. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Indians did win this division. I'm still going to give it to the Twins. But in the order that we talked about them, I think, I think that is it. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I still think you're right. Like, it'll be Twins, Indians, White Sox, Royals, Tigers, but – 
you know, between the top three teams, it, could, it should be pretty competitive, and that will be a fun storyline to watch in the AL Central. And, and speaking about a lot of teams that are going at it against each other, the NL Central, that might be the most exciting division in baseball. Not the most, not the best teams in baseball, but certainly the most exciting because four legitimate teams are competing with each other. Yeah, this division is it, – it's we, we might not even talk about the Pirates. Those four teams, it, it's going to be very fun. The Brewers uh, – the Brewers and Cardinals were the two teams to come out of it last year, and the Cubs still finished above 500. And and the Reds have gotten a lot, a lot better. They added Nick Cassianos. They're going to be a fun team to watch. None of these teams are great ball clubs, but I think they're all pretty equal. And even when you look at their odds in Vegas, they're all very, very close to win this division. Yeah, as you mentioned, just all of these teams are – really i would say there a lot of them are probably 28 and sorry they more like 32 and 28 teams but they're all just slightly above 500 they all have so many flaws but they're also decent teams so they all are pretty even amongst each other yeah it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch for sure um like we said uh, i really don't think that any of these teams the overpower one another more so than any other at all. Yeah, it should definitely be close. So let's start going over the Cubs. And the Cubs, I, I like their offense, of course. That's obviously their their biggest strength. And Brian Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, and Contreras. Those five are young. They're going to be on the team for several years. Although Brian might be leaving after 2021. So they'll keep them in the midst for the next year or two. But after that, the rotation looks weak after Hendricks. They have Darvish, who could be decent for them, and a lot of okay options, and Lester, Quintana, and Chatwood. But their bullpen, that's, that's what's going to drive them down because Kimbrell is a shell of his former self, and he's their best pitcher, their best relief pitcher by far. I do think that Kimbrell kind of got affected by signing late last year. Mm -hmm. I really don't know what the issue – I mean, I don't know what he's going to be like this year with the abbreviated season. Uh, but all I know for the Cubs is that this is pretty much it. I mean, it looked like their window was open in 2014 and 2015, and they finally got it done in 2016, that's for sure. But I think that Cub fans, while as – as excited as they were to finally get a championship, I think deep down that they wanted more than one. And uh, I mean, obviously, duh. But I think that they were expecting more than one. And they, they, they've they just been getting worse and worse. And last year was an 84-win season for them. And you look at some of the moves that were made. With, I mean, Kenta Maeda was, was traded away. And look, look, Gary Cole and Steven Strasburg, it was pretty much a lock that it was going to be Yankees Nationals for those two, respectively. But I'm surprised that they didn't try to make a big splash uh, for a starter at all. Uh, but th their offense is still pretty good. And I think that if Javier Baez can take that one next step to be a possible MVP candidate, th this Cubs team can, can definitely compete. The Cubs are definitely hoping that Baez can more be more like 2018 Baez than 2019 Baez because I still think Lindor and Story, and that's kind of a very common consensus among baseball Twitter, that they are the n number one, number two shortstops, and Baez is a little bit behind them. So you can take the next step, that would be good. 
And as for starters, just they signed big deals to Lester and Darvish and spent a lot of money on Quintana and Chatwood. So that's probably the reason why they got backloaded and couldn't sign a big pitcher or a big name player such as Strasburg or Rendon or Cole. So they kind of like, it kind of just blew up in their face and they were kind of holding on to that 2016 core for a bit too long. And now they're around mediocre. Like even they make the playoffs, they still probably won't go too far just because they have a lot of flaws. Yeah. But, but I think that that's the case for, for kind of all these teams. I mean, let's take a look at the Brewers. They have Christian Yelich, who's one of the best players in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. And they, they have a nice lineup. But And I know that there's been talk around the, the league that they they got more arms. But did their rotation get any better at all? I mean, Brandon Woodruff is not an ace. They have, they have some options. And they still have a, a pretty good bullpen. And if Corey Kniebel can be what he's capable of doing, I mean, we all know what Josh Hader is. He, the, the guy's an absolute stud. But I just don't think that the, the Brewers outside of Christian Yelich, I just I, I don't see them going very far because I don't think that th- their pitching is good enough for it. I don't th- I think their pitching is kind of deep. They have options and their lineup is pretty deep too. But it, it, it's I just don't think that you can have one player to be so overpowering and then everyone else is kind of just like an average ball player. I don't think that that's enough to, to when you have powerhouses like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays and, and teams that can, and like the Mets who have sluggers, I just don't think that a lineup like the Brewers is going to be enough. They pretty much live and die with Yelich and Hader. Even saw Hader regress a little bit last year too. And their bullpen looked a lot worse. He still won reliever of the year or Trevor Hoffman, reliever of the year, of course, but they're not the same bullpen they were in 2018. And they have a lot of comeback players, as you mentioned, and Corey Kniebel and Brett Suter and even Alex Claudio. And they have options rotation and Adrian Hauser and uh, KBO returnee to the MLB, Josh Lindblom. So they have options, but it's more upside than anything else. And they're probably just going to get a lot of mediocrity. Yeah, I think that I think that Christian Yelich is a their lineup is good enough where Christian Yelich can carry them to the next step in terms of the, the, where they can get to the postseason, I should say. But when they have to face elite teams like Atlanta and LA in October, I I don't think that guys like Justin Smoke and Asel Garcia and Ryan Braun and Lorenzo Cain are going to be able to get past the Mike Soroka, the Mike Fultonavich, the Walker Bueller, and uh, the Clayton Kershaws of the world. Yeah, I can definitely see their offense be overpowered by good pitching. They're, none of these teams are overpower, can overpower really the Dodgers, the Braves, but they remain fun misses more for winning division's sake than winning the World Series, I would say. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think this kind of goes for the Cardinals, too. I mean, they have Paul Goldschmidt, who at one point he was one of the best players in all of baseball. But I think that I think the Cardinals pitching staff is a lot better than Milwaukee. And that's why I think that the Cardinals edge out Milwaukee just a little bit. But in terms of lineups, I mean, they, they are pretty similar where the Cardinals don't have a lot of 
studs were going to rake the, the crap out of the ball aside from Goldsmith, but they have enough players where if their lineup gets going and and it looks like they have the pitching that that, that can that can earn them at least 34, 35 wins this year. I just learned to like never doubt the Cardinals because they always have some random guy or just always outperform projections. They're a weird team that pretty much remains competitive each and every year. You mentioned they have Goldschmidt, of course, and he's their big guy, but Colton Wan was a pretty good player for them last year. And they even had some surprise guys in Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill. So that can carry them, but the offense is weak for them. And then starting rotation-wise, of course, Jack, uh, Jack Flaherty is an up-and-coming ace. Yet after that, Mikolas and Hudson and Wainwright, they're all kind of around the area. Okay. Yeah, they're okay, which is pretty much the definition of these two divisions. They're, they're okay. They can perform really well, but they've had success in the past. We're unclear of how, how they will do in a shortened season. I think where, where I like the Cardinals rotation, though, I mean, let's take a look at the Twins. I think the Twins have a high ceiling and a very low floor. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Cardinals rotation has a very high floor where you kind of know what you're going to get with Wainwright and Hudson and Mikolas and Carlos Martinez. Jack Faraday, the, 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 it's still out on him, but I do think that he could, that he could be an ace. And I, I love what he did in the second half of last year. But I do think that with those other four guys in that rotation, you know what you're going to get. And that's going to be five or six innings of, of pretty average baseball. And you just hope that the, that offensive lineup can score enough runs for you where you can go to uh, you can go to your bullpen and Andrew Miller and Giovanni Gallegos, who has been a very nice pickup for them. I mean, that was that was the Luke Voigt trade. Everyone exactly. said, oh, yeah, Luke Voigt for Gallegos. That's a, that's a steal for Brian Cashman. But – Giovanni Gallegos has been a, a pretty nice, a pretty nice arm uh, for the Cardinals, I must say. Exactly. They even have another KBO guy in uh, Kwon Hyun Kim, so he can be good. Kim Gallegos Miller, if they can get five or six innings from these starters, which all of them seem to be able to do, their pitching can be good enough to probably carry them to an NL Central title. And their offense, of course, has some upside too. I think even offensively, they have a high floor. You know what you're going to get from them. That's and true. They're not right. going to be not going to see projections by all too much. Yeah, for sure. And this is without Jordan Hicks also. Exactly. Just imagine what the bullpen is going to look like with Jordan Hicks next year. Yeah. It's, it's weird of hits, though, because he surprisingly gets hit pretty hard, even though he throws 105 of a nasty splitter, too. So he helps, and it definitely hurts their bullpen. But he's no Aroldis Chapman yet. Right, yeah, he, he or all this Chapman. I mean, it, the, the difference between them is that Jordan Hicks just throws the ball. Or all this Chapman, when even though when he even when he was a flamethrower throwing 106 miles an hour, he was a pitcher. He was able to locate, and he was, and he he, he still is. Or all this Chapman doesn't throw 105 anymore. Now he's settled around 99 or 100, but he can locate. Man, his ERA is still down in the low twos. His K per nine is still in the in the low teens. Aroldis Chapman is a very, very good pitcher, whereas Jordan Hicks, once he turns that corner, and this might be a blessing in disguise for him where the Cardinals don't have to rush him back. They can make sure that he's healthy for 2021. If Jordan Hicks can start to become a pitcher, that's going to be a very good added bonus to that Cardinals bullpen. Of course, 
Chapman, still one of the best relievers in baseball, but Hits is now the de facto fastest pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even have to throw 105 each time. Just all those pitches are so nasty that if he can just have more control in the zone, that can do eons for the Cardinals bullpen who have some upside, but they also have receding guys like, like Miller and unknown guys such as Ponce de Leon. So that would go a long way for them. And it will, as a big blow in 2020 if they're missing him. Yeah, for sure. When he gets back though, I I, I like that Cardinals bullpen for, for, a, for a long time when he gets back for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Just going off pitching, the Reds too have phenomenal pitching. Oh, I think they yeah, might have, yeah, they have like the, I think they have the best pitching in the NL central. I, I, I agree with that. I think Sonny – I mean, I when, when the Yankees got rid of Sonny Gray, I knew that he was going to be – I didn't think that he was going to be a Cy Young candidate anymore. Yeah. But, but I knew that Sonny Gray was going to figure it out. And Luis Castillo, don't be surprised if he's in the Cy Young contention as well. Trevor Bauer I still think is a little bit overrated, mm-hmm. but he's another guy where you know what you're going to get from him. You know what his floor is. And Trevor Bauer still has a talent where he could still blow guys away for sure. Um, and offensively, that lineup got a lot better. I mentioned it before. That lineup got a lot better with Nick Cassianos. I think that this team is built on pitching. I think that they're going to rely a little bit too much on that. I think that their offense still needs one more kick. I was surprised that they didn't, uh, what's the guy's name? They, they didn't call him up this year. They're starting him out in the minors. He went crazy last year for like a couple oh, of years. Oh, uh, Aristide Yeah, him. I'm surprised. Yeah, I don't get that. Very surprising, but uh, but but, and I don't even think that he would make that much of a big impact. I'm just surprised that you wouldn't want him in your lineup because I mean, look, I, I like that lineup a lot, but I don't think that it's going to it. It might be in terms of like a top three guys with with, with Casellanos and. and um, who else is in? Who else is in that lineup? They have Joey Votto and they have Eugenio Suarez. I think that top three might be the best of the division, and he, they they and they got Mike Mustakas, which is a very nice pickup, also. But outside of that, it, it's that top four is great. Five through nine is is very questionable. Exactly, the back of their lineup is just is just not great. Like Tucker Barnhart, a catcher, not great. Nick Senzel. No idea what they're going to expect for him. Jesse Winker just not living up to expectations. So they're very top-heavy, and even rotation-wise, too, and even bring that to the bullpen. They have Iglesias, who's a great reliever. Renson's pretty good. Pedro Strope has been consistent. So those three are great, but they're very top-heavy, and I still think that's more than a lot of these central teams can say because they okay. seem like they have good talent everywhere around. But it's not it's not a complete team. There are no Yankees, Dodgers, or Astros in any respect. Yeah. It, I mean, if if those bottom guys, I mean, Nick Senzel is is a nice player. He hasn't hit he hasn't hit that next stride yet. Jesse Winker, I think, is a really good fielder, and I think he has some pop in his bat, but I don't think that he's there just yet. Uh, that that last few spots in that lineup can be good. The the, the top four or five, I don't think you have to worry about, but but if those last few guys, and uh, they're not deep, I mean, their their bench is is not that great either. So they're going to have to rely on those guys big time to get some productive at bats for them, especially when this pitching is going to keep them in ball games. 
and their bullpen is great too. That's true. I guess when you when you think about bullpen wise, they still have Amir Garrett and Tyler Maley, so their bullpen is one of their better attributes too. But you're right; they're they have to rely a lot on their pitching, and if their bottom part of the offense had come through, that can send them leaps and shoulders above the NL Central competition. That's pretty much the rats factor this year. Yeah, I mean they they, they probably should have put Michael Lorenzen in that <laughs> in, in their in their bench for sure. That's true. Yeah, I, I hope he gets some action because I know there's going to not be a pitcher hitting, and I really was hyping up the Lorenzen train too. Yeah, no, for sure. He, he's talented, that kid. He's Jack, oh, yeah. too. He, he is. Uh, also, Derek Dietrich, like you saw how jacked he was, and they all just stand around together. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, that dude's ripped. <laughs> Derek Dietrich is ripped. He is. He, he has so much. I feel like the Reds are a fun team because they have so many – Guys, interesting personality, and all starts with Lorenzen, Bauer, and Dietrich. That's so. why I like them too. You're right; they they have a camaraderie about them. That I, I mean, I, I think I think every team in the Bigs has has good camaraderie. I mean, I've been I've been on ball fields with teams taking batting practice. Like I've been on the field with the Tigers taking batting practice and the Marlins taking batting practice. Bad teams. I've been in their clubhouses before, but I can't imagine what it's like to know that you have a good team. And you have – they have personality. Amir Garrett is certainly a personality. And Joey Votto has been very outspoken with uh, the Black Li- Black Lives Matter movement. And he's been – he's starting to become a little bit more vocal on social media and just in the PR world in general. They have a lot of personality on that team, and I think that can go for a, a long, long way. I would say besides the Cubs and the Vision, the Reds have just as much personality as them, if not more so. And that always goes a long way, as you mentioned, every – big league ball club has that but the teams you know where they have good personality and a good team those two go together and it's kind of a recipe for success yeah i think i agree with you for sure we do have to move on to the pirates and the pirates are a weird team because they have a little bit of good hitting and a little bit of good starting rotation starting pitching because Everyone kind of likes Josh Bell, Kevin Newman, Brian Reynolds, and in the rotation, Mitch Keller and Trevor Williams have some upside, but they are not even close to the rest of the teams in this division. They're kicking themselves over a couple of those trades that they made, mm-hmm. huh? The, oh, yeah. That Chris Archer deal, that Tyler Glasnow deal, they're, they're kicking themselves, man. It looked, it looked good. I mean, when, when, those, when those trades first happened, we were like, all right, like, okay, Pirates. But but we've seen we've seen the Pirates took big L's on both of them for sure. It'd be such a difference if they're on the team right now because they would, every team would be competing in this division. But just because of that one bad trade to the Rays, they just got screwed over, and they just left it in the cellar for many years to come. Yeah, I do like Brian Brian Reynolds though. I think he's a nice player to watch. I mean, I think that this this season is going to be a Josh Bell show. But Brian Reynolds had a, had a nice season last year, and I think that if he if he takes that next step uh, this year, I mean that was a trade from the Giants, and it looks like the Pirates may may do with that one. So we'll see uh, what Brian Reynolds is if he could take that next step as a ball player. But uh, again, outside of those two, it, it, it's it's going to be slow for Pittsburgh. They got yeah, nice uniforms, Wait, you like their bullpen? No, uniforms, I said. Oh, uniforms. Oh, I was like bullpen-wise. Bullpen, no. No, they'll look look good. 
they, they work good in the uniforms, but they won't be performing all that well. They have a fun stadium too. Have you have you been to PNC? I haven't Park been there yet. No, it's really cool. Yeah, I know. Everyone everyone says that. It's a shame that Toronto can't play there. I know, right? Like, I don't know what they're gonna do, and they have like a day to decide. Yeah, they are. They're. I think they're probably just gonna wind up in Buffalo, where the AAA affiliate is. That's probably the best option. But mm-hmm. I mean, I would I, I would imagine that they want a big league facilities. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how or where they play, but they, of course, should have the season going for them. They would be the best team in Pittsburgh. <laughs> they would. It wouldn't be even really <laughs> close. Be, it'd be fun to see them there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So overall, Ryan, who do you think has the better division between the AL Central and the NL Central? Better is the American League, just because they have a powerhouse and they have a potential to have at least two powerhouses in the Indians. The NL Central, we've said it, it's just a bunch of mediocre teams that are going to be uh, contending against each other. And I think I want to rock with the Cardinals to win the division. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if another if another squad won it, but I just think that they have a squad where we said it before. Their floor is very high. We know what they're going, what we're going to get from them. I feel like the Cubs are either going to be thirty wins or forty wins. I feel like the Reds are either going to be twenty wins or thirty-five. I feel like the range for all of these teams is just so severe. Whereas you look at the Cardinals, and you know that they're going to be a few games over five hundred to finish this year. They're going to be a playoff contender. I mean, they they made it to the NLCS last year and. It finally took the Nationals to, to stop them. They scored ten. They scored ten runs in one inning against the Braves in Game Five, and then they couldn't get a hit for the entire championship series. I like, that's how baseball goes. But I think that they're a good team who who wants a little bit more after last year because that was a little bit disappointing of a finish for them. The Cardinals. I mean, they even have a book about them called the Cardinal Way. They just compete every year. They surprise everyone. And I think you're right. I think we've talked a lot about high floor, high ceiling. Cardinals are the most consistent team in this division. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if any other team surpasses them and wins the division besides the Pirates. But Cardinals look like on the, a good track to at least win maybe 32 games, which could be all it takes to win the NL Central. Yep. Although I, I would have to maybe go with the Reds just because – I feel like they have good energy. I feel like they have a lot of talent and they're good all around, but they also haven't been competitive in years. So yeah, I don't know why I picked my Pirates jersey for this one. I should have went with my, my with my Red jersey. I should. I, I have. A, I have a uh, uh, like a 1989 Barry Larkin in my closet somewhere. Ooh. Nice. He's an underrated shortstop. Very good. Very good shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I do like Clemente. You can never go wrong with Clemente. No, you can't. But like. It's just the pirates, like they stink. <laughs> sort of went with a better team for this for this one. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I got. I got like. I got fifteen right there. I'll, I'm sure. I'll, I'm sure I'll get a, a good team next episode. There we go. Yeah, that's what we like to see. Well, that pretty much wraps up the AO and NL Central division. So thank you all for tuning in. We'll get the West divisions tomorrow. And until next time, this is the Exit Veal Podcast.